Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates for conversations around how their internal work in the process is informing their life outside the process, how their spirit and how their love is living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hey everybody, my name is Drew Horning. Welcome to the Hoffman Podcast. Uh, Today we have Shannon Kaysen. Shannon, so good to have you. Would you introduce yourself? I'm happy to be here, Drew. Um, I'm Shannon Kaysen. I did the Hoffman process, well, it was August. I was about to say October. My wife did October. It was August 2019. And um, I'm a storyteller. I tell stories on stages, I write, and I I do three podcasts, um, one called In Good Company Detroit. I'm from Detroit. Uh, One called Homemade Stories, where I share personal stories, and another called The Trouble, where I talk to people who've been in trouble, still in trouble, and we talk it out. So um, um, I'm a storyteller. Yes, Shannon, you uh, have done a TED Talk about storytelling. You've been mentioned in the New York Times. You've been on The Moth. You've been on Snap Judgment. Lots of rave reviews uh, in my research. Um, one of the things I uh, read about was that there, behind that beautiful smile is, <laughs> is, is lots of heartbreak. And I was struck by the vulnerability of your stories. You share everything. And um, I'm inspired by your courage to share it. And I just have to ask this. Do you do you ever get a vulnerability hangover after sharing so much about yourself? Well, I mean, every time I I, I think um, well, not every time, but sometimes I don't feel like I've I've pushed enough. If I don't feel a little bit of of uh, if I don't feel something after I've shared, you know, I gotta feel something. Or else I, I feel like I've 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 cheated the process. I tell stories about um, addiction. I tell stories about um, fun things that happen in life. You know, spending the day with my daughter. I tell stories about going to visit my daughter who doesn't stay with me based on um, um, divorce and those things. So, um, but when I tell these stories. I think I I like to dive into what I really feel. You know, even at the Hoffman process, we did a lot of that too, where um, we talk about visioning and, you know, take the restraints off and what do you really want? Because I think a lot of times we will we'll, we'll stay within the boundaries of what's, um, what's acceptable to others. But then you think about it, what do I want to hear? What would I, what, what story do I want my dad to tell me honestly, where he drops the ego, drops the, you know, uh, the hardness drops the, 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 the machismo. and just tells me what he really feels. So I'll think in that way when I'm talking to, um, 
an audience or a person I'm talking to through my stories, I want to share some of the insights of what really happened. And that's what I find in literature. When you, when you read good literature, which may be fiction, but a murderer can be, um, can be understood in literature because you're diving into the person and you almost feel sorry when he gets caught, even though he needed to get, <laughs> you know, a per- all these things. And when, when I learned a lot from literature, reading good, good stories. And, and, um, I want That's to recreate true. that. Shannon, what is, what's one of the favorite stories that you've told? One of my favorites is, is a story called daddy. And it's a story that takes place over one day and I'm visiting New York to um, visit with my three month old daughter who, who moved, um, well, she's three years old at that point, but who moved when she was three months old. So I'm going to visit her at her, at her uh, great grandmother's, um, um, well, old folks home for lack of a better word. <laughs> I can't think of what they call them, you know. So I'm going to visit my my uh, my daughter, and uh, the anticipation, the fear, all the things that's coming out of me when I see my little girl. Yeah, and you know, speaking of little ones, uh, one of your stories was about riding a bike and a race and how you wanted a bike so bad and and the only bike you could get because your mom said heck no we're not getting you a bike <laughs> was when uh, you borrowed your sister's bike and it was it had the the pony what kind of bike was it my little pony bike yeah yeah my little pony bike and uh and then you know you you, you one of the things i love is you both you interview both your mom and your dad on your podcast. Your your mom was telling a story about her getting oranges and walnuts at, at Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's all she got. And and it was it felt so tragic to me. But as she's telling you that story, she is laughing so hard and the two of you are laughing together what was that like for you to interview her around that any time spent with my mom is a is a joy for me because um because we we you know i grew up and my mom did so much my mom gave so much of herself and everything else so it's just spending some time with her and hearing her stories and just letting her voice be heard, you know, and, and I played that story on my podcast and I get a lot of emails about her laugh and I get a lot of emails as well about, uh, people who relate to getting walnuts, oranges and apples for Christmas and birthdays. Like this was a, and and them sitting down with the walnut cracker, cracking the walnuts, eating the walnuts, but them as a family, um, I mean, it's enjoyable, but it's the family, you know, part that's enjoyable. A lot of times, um, I mean, we didn't grow up in a, in a, in a well-to-do household. I grew up, my mom, um, 
she 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 had a great job at four, but but at the same time, it was me, my mom, and my sister after my mother and father divorced, and and we grew up in a in a back room in my grandma's house, you know, after they divorced. So um, privacy was was off the table. Everything we just had one room. So a lot of that is, and even in that, you didn't feel like you had missed out on anything. You felt like you were just you know that there was a way of life because a lot of other families. We're living the exact same way. My best friend, he lived with his grandmother. My other best friend, he lived with his, you know, so it was, it was, it was, it was a common occurrence. So you didn't think you were missing anything. And at the same time, um, I mean, it's just joy in, in, in a lot of those situations. I mean, you find joy just where you at basically. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of when you were 12, uh, you you shared a story of what happened when you were 12 and heading either before the Boy Scouts or after the Boy Scouts when you went to the local store. Yeah, can before. You, can before. you share what before? You share what happens? Okay, that, that was a story I told, um, and it was shared on, on Snap's Judgment, uh, released that one nationally. And it was a story about, I call it Boy Scout, uh, the Boy Scout of Detroit and just me as a young kid going to my Boy Scout meeting. I was, I was part of the Boy Scouts and I stopped at a corner store. This is, um, it's in a small suburb of Detroit called E-Course. And I stopped to get some, some, uh, better made red hot chips and a Fago peach pop, which if you're from Detroit or know the Midwest area, you might know Fago and red hot, uh, better made. And, and it was a police raid that was going on at the corner at the time. Now, police raids don't really, uh, uh, they don't, you know, discriminate in who they're picking up, you know. So I was a 12-year-old kid, but I was a big 12-year-old, and I got picked up along with everybody else on the corner. So ended up uh, going to to wherever the holding space was at the jail they took us to and we had that experience. Yeah. yeah, River area narcotics operations is that what it was drano yeah in the 80s it was um you know crack the crack era so it was a lot of different uh units that were drug or narcotic uh uh units and i think that units still actually exist because drugs is still a big problem in in other you know in all cities but uh but uh but it ended up being a little bit of brutality in it too, a little police brutality. And that, it was just a way of life in a sense. And it's hard to understand that for some people, but, but, but it's a way of life, almost like a rite of passage. And I talk about that in that story. And I talk about my, um, my, I didn't like that. I didn't accept that that should be a way of life that I should accept being beaten on on the way to my Boy Scout meeting when I did nothing, but I just looked the part that that society has, has has told us this is the part, you know, this is the place and the part, and that's your part to play, and you have to go through this experience no matter what the circumstance were, if it was if it was the way we saw it or the way we didn't see it, this is this is the part you have to play. So I talk about that in the story. I talk about my uh uh, how, how, how I didn't like that, but I still had to live it. You know, I didn't like that, but I still had to live it. That's a lot for a 12 year old to navigate. And, 
you know, fast forward through lots of stuff, but what eventually led you from the childhood you had and the young adulthood you had, and then to more recently taking the process, what was the impetus to, to, to take the process? Well, one of the things was, um, I was invited, uh, uh, someone who listens to my show, um, my podcast, homemade stories. They, um, I, th I think the vulnerability of my my stories may have spoken to them in a way. And the process was something that I may have never even wouldn't be even be on my radar to tell you the truth. You know, um, I would never even like even think about it at all. And it was it was it was brought to me as something that um, um, could affect change. Could 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 allow. Um, the things that were longstanding patterns in my life uh, give me tools to to create change or to have change in my life. So, so uh, from that standpoint, I'm a curious person. I think being a storyteller, a lot of curiosity is there as well, right? Um, so, <laughs> so just from the curiosity standpoint, I wanted to go, but then also. I'm not just a curious bystander in any of my story. I'm not a journalist. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I tell the stories that happened to me. So I experience things as I'm going through it. And uh, from that standpoint as well, I want change in my life. There's been some longstanding patterns that I want to, uh, to, to, to change, you know? So um, from that standpoint, I wanted to take it to go in, 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 in that area. And I was happy I went, I was happy I went. As you look at your process now, almost a year later, what what parts stand out or what what are some of the things that still live inside you moments that you remember? I guess, in a way, little stories from your process. Well, from the first day. Right. So. Um, I always feel and maybe other creatives can relate to this as well, but I'll, I'll always feel that I'm a watcher. Like I'm standing on the outside of myself and I'm watching everything that's happening around me. And I'm watching even my um, interactions with whatever's happening. And in the process, the, the just teaching me, and it's not things that you haven't heard before, but it's things that, that if in sitting in a week with no phone and no distractions that you can really, really delve into knowing myself as a, as a quadrinity, you know, um, my body, my, my, my spirit, my intellect and my emotions and being able to really like hone into each one. And it, it was the first time I was, I think it was the first day and we did that. And they talked about seeing my spirit and that was the first time I thought of that or experienced that, uh, you know, and I, you know, it brought tears because I seeing myself in the light of who I am is just, you know, it, it was, it was a powerful experience for me. So, so, so those are the things that stay with me, the quad checks, the taking time to, um, for meditation, just taking silent time, um, 
I breathe now. <laughs> I lay in bed. Like breathing is something that some people don't. We don't. You know, I wasn't. I never thought about breathing. You know, like I'm gonna think about my breathing. You know, just sit here and just breathe, and just breathe and breathe into your heart. You know, imagining my heart expanding, not just my lungs, but my heart. You know, those things are um, key after the process. I mean, they've been a big part of my life. I can take a few seconds just to breathe and, and, and people need to breathe. I, I need to breathe. I know. Mm. That, uh, I love the image of you lying there, breathing, practicing your breath. It's funny, this thing we do so naturally, so beautifully, we don't really even pay attention to or think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you I think one of the things is the awareness that I learned in the Hoffman, like and it's tools for awareness, just awareness and being aware, like even with my breathing, noticing when my breathing is short, hurried breaths. And I'll notice that and I'll notice something else is going on. And just that awareness is 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 key in my life as well because I can I can I can pinpoint that something else is happening. You know, if I'm taking short breaths and I'm I know what's happening, you know, in some ways, you know. So um, has has getting in touch with your quadrinity, your breath, knowing yourself better, how has that impacted storytelling? Well, a lot of my work is listening um, and interviewing just like as you're doing now. Um, In interviewing, it's easy to ask questions that's on a paper, and that's fine, you know. But then and also in interviewing is hearing what the person is saying or or, or diving into um, what the person is saying, just the way you dive into a story. Like when I'm telling a story, they got these, they got these pictures that, that are like a combination of a lot of pictures. And when you look at it real hard, you can see some words in it, or you can see an image in it or something like that. Everybody's seen those things, but you got to stare at it and you might have to cross your eyes and you see it. And that's how we're writing a story. You fall into a story. It's almost three dimensional. You can fall into it and you can see around in the story. Then you can make choices based on what you want to tell. Like I can tell about the, the, the file cabinet, or I can tell about the, the picture that's on the wall. So you make your decisions on what the, what, what you want to tell or what the audience be most interested in, but also in interviewing, you can fall into it. You can fall into listening and not where you're distracted, but you like on the inside of the voice. And it's, 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 it's as though you're with the person who's talking to you. You can under, and you can ask poignant questions or you can ask details on something that, that, that needs to be fleshed out more. So those things in, in being in the moment, of situations that happen in life on an everyday basis with your job or you, it it can give you, it's almost, (laughs) it's almost like a cheat code in some ways, you know, it gives you some kind of, you know, but it doesn't, 
you need to practice it. And I, I'm in that process of practicing it more. I feel I'm a newbie at a lot of these things. So it's just one of the things of practicing it more that, uh, for in my own life, you know, to be yeah, in the moment of situations. Part of what I heard you say though, is that you're, you're listening differently. You're, uh, you said on the inside of the voice, there's something about the empathy of opening up to yourself, which allows you to open up to other people. What did you, what did you mean when you said the inside of the voice there? I think it's beyond it's, it's, when I talk about it, I'm, I'm like something greater than listening. It's listening, but it's something more. And I, it, it may be like, I don't know all the words as far as what is just come to me is like my spirit listening. You know, my intellect can listen and my intellect can get distracted. My, my emotions can listen. And I can get emotional. But then I think uh, um, if I listen in my spirit, man, as, as a spirit listening, it's a deeper, it's a deeper listening. It's a listening that can, I can stand within it and, and look around in there and, and, and make a choice on, I want to flesh this out more. This needs to be, or they, they really want to talk about this and I can go there because I can, f- my spirit knows that this is what they really want to share. And if I can do that and use the, the cues and the, the pr- preparation that I've used to come up with questions, it, it, it'll give more to the audience and it'll give more to the interviewee who I'm talking to. Yeah. You know, I, it, it, when people talk about the spirit, when I think about my spirit, I think words don't capture, um, words fall short because it's, it's so large and, um, profound in a way that trying to find a word to fit the felt sense of the experience of connecting to one's spirit, it just doesn't seem to do it. You relate to that? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, um, um, and that's where that time of breathing silence and, and, and whatever's natural to the person. I do, um, I do a lot of other things too, you know, so, so that, that makes sense to me, (laughs) but that may not make sense to others. So it's a, it's, it's one of those things of, uh, of, uh, yeah, you, you can't put words to, to everything all the time. Shannon, you, you also interview your dad and, I listened to it uh, yesterday and um, he talks about, among other things, the riots in Detroit in the 60s. And at one point he's he's telling the story of a a Sherman tank rolling up on him and 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 the, the police. And I mean, what was that? The, the the fact that we are here now in talking to one another after four nights of riots that are happening in the U.S. from from the police brutality that has happened in our our country, and 
um, I, I just need to acknowledge the, the cultural pattern of oppression um, that, that people of color are subjected to in this country. And um, I guess what's that like for you, knowing your dad went through some of this and, and here we are again in some way? What have we learned? Or what, what's that like for you in your heart, in your spirit to, to witness I think it's um, when when uh, I talk to my dad, right? So my dad is 35 years older than me. He had me when he was 35. And listening to his stories of the 67 riots and hearing his voice say, we were tired. We tired. You, you know, that's, he said, we tired, man. And he was there at that time. And he would in '67, he he probably would have been in his mid 20s at that time, so about 30, uh, about 20, 27 or so. So he's a he's a grown man at that time, and him talking about he was just tired, and he talked about what happened in the city, and that Detroit was never the same after the '67 riots, and. Um, in my stories, we talked about the Boy Scout of Detroit story and me being tired of, of not accepting that this was a rite of passage for me being beaten up and being scared of the police and having this fear, um, me being tired, you know, and that was, that, that's 47 years after I was born, after him, you know, so, so, so. Um, after he had had that, his experience in being tired and him telling me in that story, I'm telling my dad talking to me as he drove me back from the police station and telling me, Hey, that this is just a way of life and me not wanting to accept it. And I think that's what you're seeing right now in the world. People don't want to accept it anymore. I, I went to the, to the African-American museum in, in DC, the, um, the, the big one that, that just opened up to Smithsonian. Yeah. And, um, one of the, I'm a storyteller, so I look for themes, you know, and, I, and one of the themes that I took away from my experience there, and we spent three days there just taking our time going through the different exhibits and, and pretty much focused in on that museum mostly for three days, me and my whole family, I even brought my mother. And um, the theme that I, I walked away with was control, just from the, from the, from the, the first floor they take you to, the bottom floor. Um, when they talk about coming over on ships and then to the top floor when it is, 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 is today, like current, current, current day, it was all, I saw control, you know, and a lot of that is people tired of being controlled. And once, once you reach a point of, of fear, I was watching a, a, a scary movie the other day with my family and it was in the scary movie, they said something interesting. The, the lady was, was scared or whatever the demon or the, the crazy thing that was coming after her. And some guy gave her a key and said, if you're not afraid of it, it can't control you, you know? And I was like, man, that's powerful right there, you know? But I think that you, a lot of people are reaching that point where 
if you go kill me, kill me. If you go, but I'm not going to be controlled anymore. So I think this this is what's happening in the in the world we're seeing right now with with a lot of demonstrations. Now it's a lot of other uh, subset things that's happening as well, you know. But at the same time, I think a lot. I, I believe a lot of people are uh, just tired of this control. People tired, and I, I think every every certain times in in history, people just get tired. They're just tired of it. Yeah, and I know as a as a white male who um, has been the as white men, we have so much privilege. One of the things that the process has helped me is to be less fragile and to be more of an ally and to to do some of the internal reflection about what's happening in our world and and how can I show up. And for me, that's a, a both an internal process to to navigate my internal world so that I can um, understand life for people that don't look like me. And that's an emotional journey. Uh, the other day, Trevor Noah had a, a great talk on uh, contracts, social contracts, and how uh, his urging that white people need to uh, understand that rioting can feel like a violation of a social contract that they signed, but that if you see it from people of color and their perspective, their social contract is violated every time a person of color, an African-American is killed by the police or there's police brutality. Their social contract has been broken. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. Shannon, no, I, I, I think, I think, uh, um, I think that's important. I, I do that as well. Like I'll, I'll, I want to, um, get some kind of area where I can, I can relate to somebody else so I can find some way to relate to it or something, you know? And, and I use like, this is for, for writing and for stories, you know, I use comedy a lot. So I'll listen to comedians. So I'll listen to white comedians or I'll listen to uh, Indian comedians or I'll listen to, you know, um, other comedians from other cultures. And I'll learn a lot through that for storytelling. Like if I'm telling a story about other characters, I'll use that a lot because in jokes is a lot of pain. You talked about that earlier. My smile has a lot under it, you know, and the laugh has a lot under it. And that is true in, in comedians as well. So I learned a lot through that. Um, um, I, you know, I don't use the terms. Uh, I try not to like people of color, black and brown, because it's so many different dynamics to culture and people. And, and, and it, sometimes it feels like, like I talked about in storytelling where I'll, I can take an easy road or I can take a hard road. And an easy road for me is sometimes the people of color. What is, what is that even, <laughs> you know, if I'm telling people not to say colored people, if I'm looking at some old, old person and they say colored, you know, and I'm telling them, uh, that's an old term, but people of color, colored people, that's the same, that's the same exact yeah. word. It's not saying you, I'm saying just in general, but sure. then like people of color, I see that sometimes and I'm like, 
I don't think me and this Asian guy, we sit in the same room that we got the same issues, you know, or that me and this other person here. Yeah. And, but we, we roll this all up into, and it's an easy way. It's a PC way. It's a, it's a feel good way to say something. But when I see a, a knee on a neck, I see a black man. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I see. You know, I don't, I didn't see George Floyd as a person of color. I saw him as a black man on the ground, you know? So a lot of times I think we need to just, and that's what I do in my storytelling too, is just to say what it is. I, I talk about that, um, all the time. Like I don't call grass, uh, you know, green, uh, green towers reaching from the, the, the soil, you know, the grass was green. <laughs> I try to be as simple as possible about it. And I think uh, in this world today, I want us to get beyond. I just want us to call it, call things what they are. I think, uh, I think the challenge of the uh, challenges of the LBGTQ community, the challenges of the of the uh, of the Indian person, of the of the Asian person, of the white person, of the you know, they are particular to groups you know it's not so much um i know with the police i don't know i don't i don't i because I, 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 i'm not them but when a siren or if i see a police car pull in back of me it's a natural reaction almost probably like a um it's a natural to tense up to feel fear i have a story where i talk about i don't call the police i don't because i don't know you know, like most people would think the police are there for to protect and serve the community. But I look at it as almost like the police are there to protect the serve the community or protect the community from me. You know, so when I my experiences with the police, a lot of times are are suspicious or cynical, you know, so why would I call them? I would handle my situations myself. And, and that's a very popular story I told on the moth called downstairs neighbors but um but I, I i feel blessed that i have a a venue and a in an avenue to share those things that i feel those vulnerable moments that i have through storytelling i feel because everybody doesn't have a, a um people who are going to listen in to to what they feel on those issues what what would you say are the qualities that you embody to be able to tell stories like before you go on a stage or before you tell a story, what's happening inside you that supports you in, in being so honest and real? That's a great question. Great question. I, um, when I, I help people tell stories as well. So I've done that for the past probably seven years, helping others share their stories. And, um, it's the fear of, the fear of judgment and the fear of standing on stage is a powerful and actually Hoffman process. I'm sure helps a lot of people with that as well, because um, that's one of the biggest as far as statistically, what they say is one of the biggest fears is standing on stage or telling people, um, yeah, public speaking and that, that judgment that the eyes looking at you. Um, I feel that as well. Right. So I, I feel that it's, it's there. I'm a, I'm more of a, uh, <laughs> if we were labeling, I'm probably leaning on the introverted side and, um, I'm more 
quiet or 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 introspective i suppose you know so in sharing my story going on stage and being vulnerable i have to have a purpose it has to it has to i have to feel like i'm talking to someone and i need to share this and those are the points that that allow me to go on stage or allow me to 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 do things i can't do it from a place of just um Oh, I got these beautiful words. When I wear ladies words on them, oh, everybody will be like, wow, how you put that sentence together? That was cold, you know, but I have to feel like I'm telling this story and I'm talking to another dad that's in the audience that his greatest desire is to be a part of his kid's life, you know, and I'm sharing that story with that heart. And I want that. And I know it gets across because I know if I was in the audience watching me, I would feel it, you know. So those are the those are the um, the things that the purpose of it. What's the purpose of it? Like even the purpose of this interview, me wanting to do this interview, it's a purpose to it because it's probably a lot of people who are like me who want to go to Hoffman or or have been in or Hoffman and want somebody to relate to. And, and, and a lot of times that has a purpose as well, you know, so, so it's a purpose to, when I find a purpose, if I can find it, like sometimes I have to think about it, you know, and I think like, okay, what is my purpose for this? And that's what I'll think before I go on stage or before I, you know, if I'm asked to share something, who do I want to talk to and what do I want the effect to be? And what do I want, you know, what do I want to come out of it? You know, what's the purpose of this whole thing? So so that's that's what uh, my driving force is for for sharing stories. That's great, Shannon. Thank you for for phrasing it that way. What is my purpose? So you you had mentioned that Cindy took the process as well. Is is she around? Can we can we check in with her? Yeah, let me uh, let me grab her real quick. It take me two seconds. Hold on one second. Cindy, from your process, what's a what was a takeaway for you? What's a moment you remember? I think Shannon had mentioned something about in uh, in uh, the conversation around play and reflecting on the play experience in the process. Uh, was there something there that you remember? That was definitely. Um a defining moment for me because we spent an entire day of the process just focusing on play, you know, dance and being childlike, putting on costumes. And that's something that I have not done, <clears throat> especially with my daughter. And she's always wanting me to play. And I usually have reserved that role for Shannon so that I can be the most serious, the more serious person um, in our daughter's relationship as far as discipline and keeping her on track. But what my daughter is telling me or has always told me is that she needs her mom to play with her. So I was never the mother to play dolls or to even engage in that type of way. And so the day that we did play, was very um it was fun it was extremely fun but then the next day 
we came together as a group and we had to share exactly how we felt about it, you know. And I was sitting towards the end of the the circle. And as I started listening to everyone, they felt invigorated. They felt it. They felt delight. They felt free. And the anxiety was welling up in me because I did not want to be the Debbie Downer. But when it came to me, I I expressed that I did not feel any of that. I felt guilt. I felt guilt for allowing myself to have fun because that is not a role that I put on myself. Fun was not anything that I would allow myself to feel. My life revolved around a few emotions, anger and sadness and complacency. Fun was not in that and very limited fun. And even the fun that I would have would then be followed by tears of guilt for allowing myself to enjoy these other emotions. And so when I expressed to the group that um, I felt guilty and I had to recognize where that came from, I just started crying. And I mean, I, I cried um, in a way that I haven't cried in a long time because it's okay to process all of your emotions and feel all of your emotions and live in each emotion and allow all of your quad to come together to experience this. You know, your intellect, your spiritual, your your inner child, all of these can be connected and process the emotions. And I had never identified it as such before. And it was a very um, good feeling. Uh, it was a great process to be part of. Wait, uh, Cindy, are you saying the, the, the crying, the tearing up in that moment was a good feeling? Was there something cathartic about it? It was because um, I don't want to feel guilty about enjoying life. I I don't want to feel guilty about it. And that's been a huge issue for uh, between Shannon and myself because even when we're experiencing things that are absolutely enjoyable, I'm still at like a catonic space, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's great. It's it's awesome. Instead of actually feeling it and expressing the emotion that is actually is, is supposed to accompany goodness, you know? So um, what's it like to... to- remember that moment of reflection with the class for you now? It's actually still a place of sadness for me because I've lived the past 10 years without experiencing joy like that. And that I've given a large part of my my life like that. Um, I have two older children and I used to play with them all the time. I used to enjoy life with them all the time. And then all of a sudden I just switched 
And I would not allow myself to feel that same type of joy with my daughter. Um, and now I have incorporated more play with my daughter, um, more understanding. Um, it's still a, a daily challenge. I have to now recognize when I'm falling back into that dark side and combat it and actually move through it. So it's not like everything just changed overnight. It's something now that I can recognize, though, and actively fight against. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm I'm grateful for you and sharing, just jumping in here and sharing that, that, uh, it, you know, it, there is part of what I hear in your story is that the, the play was powerful and the reflection on the play was equally powerful. It was overwhelming. Powerful is literally such a small word to what I felt. Yeah, it's an understatement. I I really felt overwhelmed um, in giving um, so much, allowing uh, life and trauma and patterns, giving that so much uh, power over my life to put me in a space that would cause unhappiness to people that I love. Mm. Mm. This is... um... One of the things I know as a teacher is is holding people in that space of compassion and love for when they become aware and their hearts open and when they become aware of, of the impact of their patterns, as you said it, on those they love. That's a, a vulnerable and, and humble place of awareness when that happens. Yeah, it definitely is. It still brings tears to my eyes because um, it's almost like a movie screen being played in front of your eyes at that moment when you can see how your patterns have been negatively imposed on the people that you love. And what's even more Mm. hurtful is when you see, especially your children, repeating your patterns that are negative because you have imposed them and, and inflicted them onto their lives over their entire lifespan. Shannon, did I hear you there? What's it like to hear Cindy reflect out loud? No, I, I, uh, I'm proud of her. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that she, um, I'm proud that she was up to take this experience because in a lot of ways, Cindy does have, I mean, or did have, or it would be, you know, asking her to do certain things that were fresh and new. And she loves travel and stuff, <laughs> but like some, some, some reflection on her, you know, it's just your, your time. It's just, it's not even, we're not going together. It's just you going by yourself. I was proud that she decided to go to the Hoffman process. I went in, August and she went in October and, um, I, you know, the experience of, of, I guess us both witnessing each other has been, has been, uh, 
what she say? What word you say? You say overwhelming, you know. Mm-hmm. So in a good way, <laughs> it's been it's been it's been fun to to um to get to know Cindy in these types of ways, and for her to be feel the freedom to be free in 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 her in her uh in her walk in life and in her relationship with my daughter, with you know our daughter, and everything else. So um, it's been cool. It's been cool. Yeah. It definitely has helped me um, with my relationship, especially with my children. As soon as I left Hoffman, um, I took a few days for myself. um, And then I went and visited my children in New Mexico. And I spent uh, about five or six days with my children. Uh, my, My two sons who are older, I call them children, but they're fully grown adults with their own families. How many grandkids you got? I have seven grandchildren. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they were expecting like the judgmental mom. They were expecting the hard nosed mom. They were expecting, and I had to do a lot of apology with my children and told them, no, that that's not, what I'm showing up as, and this is how I'm showing up. And in that moment, both of my children and their um, their uh, the children, the, the mothers of their children, we all have a much better relationship now. Everything is opened up, mm-hmm. um, and they can see that I'm totally, uh, literally, a changed person, <laughs> and I don't come with that same energy that I used to come with before. Um, it's more of love and guidance instead of the uh, old colloquial that used to say, do as I say and not as I do. It's totally different now. And so this experience has definitely opened me up with my relationship with my children and with Shannon. Um, we come at things much more differently now. And where things would be a fight, we know how to step back and analyze the situation and then talk, you know, so it's not just 100% reactionary, you know, we can integrate and talk now. (laughs) She's, she's, she's a lot better. (laughs) Yeah. 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 As I imagine you are too. (laughs) You guys, I am, uh, I'm grateful for, your time together and Cindy just jumping in here. Shannon, Cindy, thank you very much for being on the Hoffman Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Ras Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.